Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very senior corporate leader from Shanghai, China, Mr. Cameron Johnson. Cameron, welcome to the show. Ash, thanks for having me. It's uh, looking forward to our discussion. Thank you. Uh, Cameron is the partner Tidal Wave Solutions and He's a professor at NYU Shanghai. So uh, Cameron, let's talk about Tidal Wave Solutions. Tell me a little bit about what you do here. Sure, I, you know, I, my career started uh, 20 some years ago in China. Mm-hmm. And then after so many years of kind of working for somebody else, I decided, you know what, I wanna go have my own business. If I'm mm-hmm. gonna work that much, I should take the advantage of, you know, the um, opportunity and the money that comes with it. So um, Tidal Wave Solutions actually, um, it's split in two. Uh, mm-hmm. One part of the company is focused on HR and recruitment and those kind of services. Mm-hmm. I run the management consulting side, um, which is you know what a management consultant does yeah. uh, in every in everything you can imagine. Hmm. And and you're also in supply chains. Yes, our, our major focus on the consulting side is supply chains manufacturing and the kind of uh, on the back end technology that deals with all of that. Wonderful. So today we'll talk about supply chains because uh, not only has it become very, very critical, but every world leader now suddenly has supply chain in their speeches. So uh, let me start by asking you a, a very basic question. You know, when I was starting life in the corporate world four decades ago, uh, there used to be a purchase manager whose primary job was to make sure goods arrived at on time at the right price. That has now evolved into the chief supply chain officer. Give me your perspective on how has this function evolved over the years? No, you're right. And, uh, you know, I, I like to say before the pandemic, nobody knew the word supply chains and now everybody does. So it's, uh, it's actually helpful in the business. Um, mm. no, I, I think you're right. Historically, when you were a purchasing manager at a business, your goal was to get the product to the business at the right price. And generally you may have known your suppliers, but that was about it. You didn't generally know where the product came from unless you know it was a locally produced product. Mm-hmm. To your point now it's evolved into much more than that. As a chief supply chain officer, even as a supply chain manager, you have to know not only where your product comes from and who's involved in the process, mm-hmm. but also all the different you know, cost structures of all the different businesses involved mm. with it, because any change, for example, raw material goes up, energy goes up, as we've seen, mm. you know, the price of gasoline goes up, all of that will change the dynamics in your business automatically. So you mm. have to kind of watch a whole picture versus more of a simplistic one. Well said. And, uh, you know, over, over the last three years, because of the pandemic, what has changed that requires companies to rethink their entire supply chain to ensure business continuity? Yeah, basically it, it boils down to not being able to get products or materials in a timely manner and mm-hmm. then the chaos that puts into a business. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's many companies now looking for how do I reduce my risk, right? Um, not just of uh, interruptions, but also these huge price increases or uh, good shortages that we've seen across the board. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, you're, you're based in China, and China is a very, very significant player in the supply chain business. And yet there have been certain uncertainties around the world um, because of challenges of COVID and shipping, etc. What should companies be now thinking of to reduce their reliance on large suppliers like China 
and increase their own share of domestic uh, product, procurement and production. So I'm going to take a slightly different tact. Um, trying to reverse you know, decades of what we would consider or call globalization uh, mm. isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for it. I'll give an example. We live in a global community and supply chains generally are global. Mm-hmm. If you think about semiconductor chips, right, which, you know, Ash, India, you know, the U.S., of course, with the new Chips Act, all, everybody's trying to do new chip factories Correct. and figure out how do we make chips locally. But mm-hmm. as an example, um, if you look at the supply chain of chips, you know, mm-hmm. chip ingots are produced in Japan, then they're sent to the States and processed through several steps, then shipped back to Asia for packaging, right, then put into an electronic uh, component, maybe an iPhone or something in China, and then mm. ship to the consumer. Mm. So which part of the process are you going to put in your country? Are you going to put all of those processes? Mm. Well, that creates not just inefficiency in the system, but massive cost increases. Mm. Well said. And so, yeah. And so what we're seeing actually is a bit of a spreading out of risk. So you may mm. have another step in the process, right? Or you may have another component of the supply chain closer to you mm-hmm. so you can mitigate some of that risk. But we're not really seeing a broad, you know, um, um, domestic procurement of uh, materials and supply chains because it just is very challenging to do. Mm. Interesting. And you just spoke about risk. My next question is about uh, how can a supply chain uh, head mitigate risk? So as a supply chain head, the first thing I look at when I do this is supply chain mapping. Mm-hmm. Again, starting, um, uh, I guess in the US we'd say CYA, I mean, mm-hmm. it means cover yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so if you don't, for example, if you're making um, this cup right here, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You may not necessarily need to know, okay, the raw material came from this mine in Australia. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to know that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not really pertinent, but you may need to know, hey, where in the steps, what steps in the process do I actually need to understand where my product came from? Mm. Did it come from this type of factory? Did the factory outsource some of the production, right? Where did it go in that process until it hit my, my warehouse or my inventory? Mm. And mm. so we're seeing a lot of that. The other is um, what options are available. So for example, uh, a lot of businesses, particularly before the pandemic, may have had only one or two sources of products. Now they're looking for m- multiple sourcing you know, maybe three or four different suppliers so they can mitigate that risk, not just by geography, Mm. but also by the types of businesses they deal with. Mm. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about technology now. Um, How have you seen technology beginning to change supply chains? So one of the challenges in supply chains is, as I just referenced, is visibility, Mm -hmm. right? And also tracking. And so that deals with everything from quality control to cost control to, you know, a lot oftentimes compliance, right? Particularly if you have sensitive uh, materials or products. Mm. So that is what we're starting to see in terms of um, changing warehousing and also what we would consider the logistics side of supply chains. Mm. It's kind of that tracking and traceability component that is now no longer just a simple inventory system, right? That a Walmart might use mm-hmm. or, you know, FedEx, but actually now, you know, smart, real-time um, technology components that can tell you exactly where your product is in the process. And, you know, I've been speaking to several supply chain leaders around the world. Um, One question I ask all of them is how do you see uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, drones uh, in the development and use of supply chains? So we don't quite know yet because all of those areas I would say are in, in its infancy. 
both in terms of there's not a lot of companies that have these products or have this technology rolled out. So that's mm-hmm. the first challenge. Mm-hmm. The second challenge is how do you effectively, you know, put all of them together, right? Mm-hmm. You referenced um, a warehousing, for example. So let's imagine, again, you're making a product. And if you, if everything was connected in real time, your system or even as a manager, you would be notified, hey, this product in my store in New Delhi, for example, is going mm. low. I need to, you know, I need, I know it's going to take me three weeks to get new mm. products in. I need to notify the factory now, right? Instead of what usually happens is, is somebody looks at an inventory list and says, oh my gosh, we're low, mm. right? That's more of a manual step. So mm. we're going to start to see a lot of this come uh, put together. And then that notification automatically, again, would go to the supplier and the supplier mm. would just automatically start making products. So it would become more of a seamless process. Interesting. And do you see drones uh, getting in for last mile uh, of the supply chains? Potentially, but you know, I, I think it's much more uh, feasible, at least say in the next decade, for drones to do more business to business. Right, mm-hmm. your large warehouse or factory, you know, you it's easier to ship stuff to maybe a distribution center, mm-hmm. as an example. Versus what I think a lot of people want is, hey, something just, you know, get, a box just gets dropped off at my door mm-hmm. and that's it. I'm ready to go. So I think we're a long way away from that just because it's too complex. But I think definitely business to business drone operations is something that we'll see. Interesting. Let's now move to another part of the supply chain, which is from the perspective of the consumer. What has happened in the pandemic is that supply chains have become so efficient that consumers have started getting what they need in 30 minutes. Uh, I wanted to get your perspective on how have these e-commerce platforms impacted the functioning of efficient supply chains? That's a great question. Um, On the one hand, it forces suppliers to continually improve their processes, mm-hmm. right? Because customers are unhappy if it doesn't get to my door in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other, it has also created a lot of challenges for how do you maintain that? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we saw, as you really pointed out, particularly in the US, for example, during the pandemic, if people did get used to Amazon Prime and things showing up and when those disruptions happen, then what do you do? Correct. Right. So we're also seeing, though, more of a predictive, and you, you referenced AI um, mm-hmm. and various technologies. So we're also seeing more AI use. Mm-hmm. So as an example, we know certain products will move at certain times of the year or such an, you know, a certain event happens. So we know that coinciding with that, certain products will see an uptick. So we are starting to see some businesses use an AI component to mm-hmm. predict maybe too strong of a term, but to kind of you know, um, help along that process so they can build more um, with that, I would say also one of the things that it has done for suppliers is, particularly if you're a small business, mm-hmm. how are you going to compete with a large business? It's Correct. getting product out faster, you know, cheaper, easier than the other guys. And so this is actually something that we've seen, particularly mm-hmm. here in China and Asia, where homegrown smaller businesses are actually, you know, battling the big guys in a great way because they're able to take advantage of that mm-hmm. platform. And you know, uh, you mentioned about uh, the U.S. and Prime. So let me ask you a question relating to that. I was in the US in summer and I was asking my son if I ordered something on Prime, how long would it take? And he says, typically about two days. And I said, well, in India, I get it in a few hours. What is your perspective on what makes Asian uh, supply chain seem to move much faster than what I experienced in the US? 
I think there's a few things. One, we have no legacy systems, mm-hmm. right? When you look at a, you know, a U- U.S. Uh, postal service in America, right? That was mm-hmm. the traditionally how you got mail. Yeah. Um, Amazon, you know, FedEx, UPS, these guys came along. Those are legacy systems. They have massive warehouses. Mm-hmm. They have all of these distribution centers. Mm-hmm. Asia generally doesn't have that. Now we have it for some, of course, mm-hmm. but we are able to build indigenous systems that fit. Mm-hmm. our own needs the mm-hmm. other thing is just the mass scale so you're in delhi uh, what's the population of delhi 20 million maybe well, 24 you know, million yeah yeah shanghai is 30 million and I, I we're the same i mean we can order you know i can order a new tie and have it here either tonight or tomorrow morning right yeah. mm-hmm. um i think again economies of scale mm-hmm. and the ability to innovate and maneuver on the fly um and not not being beholden to the old ways of thinking or to old systems that are entrenched. Mm-hmm. And so this is an advantage that Asia has over anybody else at the moment. Uh, one more question about the supply chain relating to warehouses, and then I'll move to uh, something else. The warehousing around the world is changing quite dramatically. Um, I wanted to understand from you, what do you see as the warehouse of the future? I think we'll see um, what it'll be different in different places. I think mm-hmm. in Asia, for example, we'll see rich hub and spoke where you will have, you know, large hubs uh, like in the Shanghai area, there's a massive hub. And then you'll have little distribution centers or, or other things related to that. We're also seeing that with food, right? Where you have huge food distributions and then um, they will kind of have satellite operations in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I think the thing, how I answer that question and think about it is what are we not seeing? Because mm-hmm. the needs of today will not be the needs of tomorrow. Correct. And so again, in Asia, we're actually able to pivot and deal with it much more effectively. I would argue than the U S or Europe or, or Japan or other places that have entrenched systems. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what I do look for is just access, mm-hmm. right? How can we have access? And it doesn't mean 30 minutes. It's great to, to mm-hmm. have that access, but mm-hmm. particularly in terms of our population sizes, how mm-hmm. do we realistically have, access and also you know good quality material and products and i think that is what we're starting to see happen mm. and uh, is there a role you see of governments uh, to support or uh, um, help supply chains so i think government has a critical role mm-hmm. in developing the support structure and okay. ecosystem so i'll give an example if you look at huge uh, if you look at countries that have dominant manufacturing mm-hmm. why is that um they have basically six key areas that um they support. One mm-hmm. is a manufacturing ecosystem of suppliers. You have raw material access, mm-hmm. favorable policies, yeah. uh, educated and skilled talent, mm-hmm. um, infrastructure that's usually advanced, and then technology. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, government has a role in almost all of those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of it, again, has to do with supporting just the underlying um, platform or infrastructure that all of that supports. Mm-hmm. And in a market, I mean, I've been to China many, many times. I've always seen somehow that China seems to build the infrastructure before it starts anything else. And that seems to support supply chains dramatically. Yes, you're, we call it the ecosystem effect, right? Where, you know, they'll build a port and then everybody will kind of, you know, move factories or have production around the port. Uh, uh, Tesla here in Shanghai is an, an example. They're right at the port. Um, and that's one of the ways, one of the reasons they, um, they put their facility here. Mm. Um, yes, some people say it's predictive. I say it's more just understanding that if you really want to be if you want to uh, be influential and have key industries in your area, that's what mm-hmm. you have to do is you have to have an ecosystem and an ecosystem has some variation of those six parts. So they've kind of seen it at, Hey, wait a minute. 
Um, it started down south, close to Hong Kong, right, Shenzhen and, and Dongguan in that area in Guangzhou. And then it kind of, you have key areas uh, in the country that they've used this model in. And yet to your point, it's actually um, bloomed and mm. forced. Um, it's now forcing other countries and other entities to look at this system and say, hey, wait a minute, this is an opportunity for us. Mm. Well said. Uh, let me now move to uh, your avatar as a professor uh, at uh, NYU Shanghai. Tell me about the areas that you teach. So I teach uh, a couple areas. Um, one is focused on project management. Uh, mm-hmm. I teach a capstone, which is, as you know, is the, kind of the final course that students go through yeah. in order to graduate. Um, and I also teach classes on managing in a, in a global economy and then leadership mm-hmm. as well. So we have kind of three key areas. And, you know, one of the, it's, yeah, so I love it. It's one of the things I'm passionate about. Um, similar to yourself, I like to give back in that way, um, particularly having been, you know, in Asia since I was a kid, uh, but also working for both, you know, Asian, uh, including Chinese and Western firms and kind of bring in that whole, mm-hmm. you know, holistic approach and around, you know, global approach to how do we really solve the problems that we're facing today as yeah. a society. Very interesting. So Cameron, I'm, now I'm going to move to a few questions for you personally, because our viewers and listeners love to get to know the guest a little better. Let me start by asking you, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? Uh, I'd say the first would be going to China. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I came as a kid. I, I graduated college early at 19 and then came here. And I was only kind of, actually, I was only coming for a year. But mm. then I came and never left. So, okay. so, you know, so that would be first. I think the second really would be being part of the American Chamber of Commerce here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would encourage, you know, people to c- kind of look at it broadly and say a professional organization. Um, you know, it gave me great opportunities to not just network, but also to, you know, go speak to policymakers, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a different capacity. And then really the third, um, you know, course is, you know, running my own business mm-hmm. because then it is only you and you have to figure everything out. And that actually, I learned far more running my own business, Ash, than I ever did in, the, in my MBA courses. And so I think, you know, those kind of three aspects of, well said. you know, how they've kind of influenced me. Wonderful. And what would you say are some of the core values you believe in? So, um, yeah, uh, I'm a Baha'i, so we, you know, we believe very much in cooperation, you know, consultation, and I'm very much interested in that, particularly being in Asia where we have so many diverse cultures and peoples mm. and languages, mm. you know, the only way we're going to solve challenges and problems is by that cooperation, yeah. you know, and consultation. Yeah. Um, the, the next is really being involved. Um, mm. You know, how do you solve problems? Well, you have to be, it's through action, you have to be involved, you know, whether mm. you're talking about government policies, um, you know, the CHIPS Act, for example, in the States, you know, I gave some feedback on that to the, to the powers that be, you know, you have to be involved. And it doesn't mean you have to be at front and center, but you have to contribute in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really the last is, you know, kind of the golden rule, you know, mm-hmm. always try to help people. Um, it doesn't matter if you get something out of it then or, or not, but I found definitely in my career, particularly as a teacher, you know, the mm-hmm. more I give back, the more I actually feel, you know, that not only I've contributed, but that I'm helping, you know, others also solve the challenges that they mm-hmm. face. Wonderful. I have time for two more questions. Uh, so my next question is, uh, what does success mean to Cameron? Oh, man, that's a, mm-hmm. these are life, life-challenging questions here. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? Uh, I mean, success to me really, um, in my work, it's solving problems mm-hmm. and helping the customer or the, or the product move forward. And then uh, in my teaching 
it would definitely, you know, again, kind of, you know, helping students through to the next evolution of their career, or even, you know, uh, students who've graduated and taken my classes in the past, you know, again, helping them solve, resolve the challenges so they can be, you know, bigger, better, mm. more effective. Mm. Interesting. And my last question to you, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation, based on your amazing experience, uh, you know, vast experience in China, Asia, the US, what would you say are three lessons you would want our viewers and listeners to take away from this conversation? Um, I'd say for the first, when you talk about supply chains, mm -hmm. um, the problems truly generally are global. Mm -hmm. So to resolve them actually requires not just outside the box thinking, but truly thinking about it on a global level, right? Yeah. I think too often we get too focused on just our own area and not, yeah. um, hey, this is a global challenge. So the second mm -hmm. would be, um, the more you help others, mm -hmm. the more actually you're going to be better off. And again, it's something I'm passionate about. And then kind of yeah. the third is, you know, uh, the challenges of today are just mm -hmm. beginning. And so the only way we're going to really resolve them is, again, through that kind of cooperation, yeah. you know, consultation, working together. So Very interesting. Uh, on that note, Cameron, and your three amazing lessons, uh, most problems are generally global. I think therefore most people need to start thinking global. Uh, the more you help others, the better off you will be because you can then ask for help and you can seek help. And the third one is that challenges are just beginning and there's a lot of need to be cooperating and collaborating with others. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me at such length about the supply chains, the impact on the world, how things are beginning to change, what your thoughts are on warehousing. And finally, thank you also for speaking to me about... Uh, what you teach. Thank you again and good luck to you. Thank you. Look forward to doing it again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.